Last year on New Year's Day, I asked the question, which Jesus are you following? I want to continue that discussion today. Not so much about which Jesus, but what, is it, what does it mean to be following Jesus anyway? Next week, by the way, Chris Whitney will be here from one generation away, one of our favorite people, one of our favorite ministries here in our area to, to feed the hungry. And everybody loves it when Chris speaks. So he'll be speaking for me and also teaching a one-off Bible class here in the auditorium. Um, then the week after that, I'll be back, and there is a special Sunday that I'm not going to tell you much about yet. It's going to be a one-off. You're going to enjoy it. In fact, I think you'll be incredibly encouraged by the worship on the 22nd. And um, I'm sorry, 23rd, is it not? Yeah, 23rd. And then we'll get back to our regular classes and um, the names of Jesus for a while. We're going to start today with one of my favorite passages, Philippians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. When I was just a boy, probably not much older than 12 or so, I really read and absorbed Philippians chapter 2. And I told my family, I said, at my funeral, I want that read. And they said, well, that's going to be a long time for now. Now I tell my family, I want that read at my funeral, and they say, does Thursday work for you? <laughs> I Thank you. I love it when the kids laugh, they join in. That's fun. Uh, don't know what we're laughing about, but we're having a good time. Um, it, it is a fantastic passage, but if you really absorb it, it is a weighty passage the same mindset as Christ, to look through the eyes of Christ, to think through the heart of Christ, that's a big order. It always amazes me that religious people like to make new rules, and they've got lots of them. They'll make more and more and more if you let them have a chance. And yet, didn't God give us enough to do? Love God, love each other, follow Jesus, have the same mindset Jesus did. That's going to keep me busy. It's going to keep me busy every single day. When I go through the Jesus stories in my class, or when I go on and on in my sermons about the names of Jesus, I do have something I'm trying to do. To me, this is not a hobby. This is not a, 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 a plot. It's not a ploy. It's, it's not just an interest. No, it's, I truly believe that the more we know about Jesus... The more we know Jesus, the more we will love him. And the more we will love him, the more we are likely to follow him. But I believe it all starts with people don't know Jesus. What they know about Jesus, if they're, if they're lucky, 
are some, some stories from Bible school or VBS from long ago. And I'm not denigrating those at all, but those aren't enough to get you through your life. Because most of the time, they're just a story, and very often, like a VeggieTales segment, we'll toss some moral in at the end. But when you really look at the Gospels, and you decide, I want to have his mindset, it is the ultimate challenge. It is the hardest work you'll ever do. Let's do a soul check. Let's look at Jesus, and then look at ourselves, and see where we are in relationship to him. See, no matter what you're talking about in this world, weight, distance, mass, velocity, any of these things only have a meaning if you have a fixed reference point. It is, um, it is you can choose your reference points. You know, in Tennessee, very often, instead of saying, you know, it's five miles to somewhere, they'll say it's 12 minutes. They'll use a minute rather than a mile. Over in Breton, instead of 12 miles, now they may say it's 16 kilometers. You, you have, what, but what is a mile? What is a minute? What is a kilometer? You may be interested to know, or not interested, but I've got the microphone, that we actually do have the meter and the centimeter, and we really do have the kilogram, and we really do have the second the minute, and the hour. And it's all kept super guarded for the reference point for the rest of us so that we can go and, well, for example, this year, you're going to get an extra second added on to, or you did rather last year, you had an extra second added on to the year. Many of you didn't notice it. If you thought time was dragging by, that was it. <laughs> and the reason is the universe is not moving at exactly the same speed as our second. And therefore, we have to make an adjustment. Most well, obvious about that is leap years when they add a day. But we sometimes have to add little bits of time. What's all this to say? If I compare myself to myself, that means nothing. And don't be hurt. But if I compare myself to you, that means nothing. Because you are not the fixed reference point. And ladies in particular, young girls, let me tell you something. The images that they put on the magazines and that strut down the, the boardwalk in Atlantic, Ave, uh, Atlantic City, rather, or they, they'll tell you this is what a beautiful person looks like, that's not the reference point. Don't buy it. Don't compare yourself to them. We only compare ourselves to Jesus. And that should, as Philippians 2 says, drive us to our knees and worship him. Heart check. One of the things that I have to heart check myself about, and by the way, we have this deal here. If you're a visitor, you need to know that. Uh, I, I'm the minister here, but I told him, I got to be able to live out loud. They need to know I'm struggling too. So here we go. One of the biggest struggles I've got and following Jesus is that compassion check. Really. I can be compassionate at a distance. Oh, those poor orphans in New Guinea. You know, I can do that. Oh, those poor people in Haiti. I can be very compassionate at a distance. But I tend to have tunnel vision. Every so often somebody will say, oh, I saw you the other day. 
but you didn't wave back. Sorry. I was doing something else. I don't know what it was, but probably in my mind it looked like this. I have tunnel vision. I have meism. I remember when Cammy and I were first married, I did not understand that that was going to create an issue. We would drive, and I wanted to be there. She would be getting hungry <laughs> and, and wanting to stop. And she was being a very nice person. She, tried to, she didn't say, stop the car, you idiot. She, she, would, she would read the billboards. You know, oh, look, a Kentucky Fried Chicken's up there. <laughs> and I'm thinking inside, they're everywhere. What's the point of reading that to me? Uh, was she raised in a cave? And it took a long time before I realized I needed to be compassionate. Compassion requires you to genuinely care about another person to the point where you set aside your immediate plans, your immediate needs to take care of theirs. That's a big thing. We're having a ministry fair here. Your kids will be in class, but the adult classes have been canceled. The teen classes have been canceled so that all of us can go about and look at these, talk to the people and see are any of these a match for me and my gifts? And if not, write down what you want to do and start a ministry. But that's the whole thing here. Here's my point. It is so easy when we say, oh, the classes are canceled. Well, there's a Starbucks right over there. I shall go worship at the altar of caffeine and, and overpriced burnt beans. And, and people will. They'll line up in the cold. The same people will say, oh, I don't like going to church. It's uncomfortable, those pews. will line out in the cold. And I'm going to be more alert during cold. It's kind of like Seattle. So many coffee shops. So few reasons to stay awake. <laughs> I don't want you to think, Oh, we have extra time then. We bought ourselves another hour. I want you to lay aside your plans. I want you to lay aside your needs and be compassionate enough to say, how can I serve someone else? Because I want to tell you something else. Merely by going to the table and engaging with the people and showing them interest, you are strengthening them. Even if you're thinking, well, you know, this ministry is not for me. For example, there's a finance ministry. You do not want me near the finance ministry. If I understood money, I would have never become a minister. You, you, don't, you don't want me to do that. I, I can't even balance a checkbook. My plan is just every four years change banks. What, whatever they give you, that's what you've got. But Cammie insists upon balancing checkbooks. and I'm not, I don't know how she does it. I'm assuming it involves it sacrifice of a chicken and lighting a candle or something, but she'll come in and she'll say, this is what we really have. You don't want me near the finance committee, uh, but I'm going to go to that table and encourage them because I need those people. I need the people in each of these ministries. So be compassionate. Jesus would visit the tables. He would give them a kind word. By the way, for some of you, compassion's very natural and you're wondering, well, what's the big deal? For most of us, it is a life of constant correction, rather like piloting a boat or, uh, or driving a car. Have you ever watched little kids 
pretend like they're driving cars. They'll get in. What do they do with that wheel? They're, they're sawing that thing back and forth like mad. Well, there are various reasons for that, but one is they notice that we're always moving it. We're the ones that don't notice that anymore. We don't notice that we're always making the correction. Life is like that. Go through constantly making that correction. And I find myself constantly wandering off the path of compassion and having to direct myself back on. And if you're one of those two, you and I can journey together. We can figure this out. We need that soul check. In Mark chapter 8, verse 2, Jesus was moved with compassion because of the physical needs of the people. They were hungry. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, he was moved with compassion for their spiritual needs. We need to be moved for both. Take care of both. Sometimes churches think that the spiritual need is so high that we can ignore the physical needs. No, you can't. No, you can't. If somebody's hungry and they're afraid their lights are going to be turned off and they're going to be cold tonight and they're not really sure where the kid's going to get uh, um, shoes to go to school, it's hard to talk to them about the love of Jesus. You're going to need to take care of this other stuff first. And so people that don't feel spiritually gifted, they're mathematicians, they're engineers, they're plumbers, people, we need you to show the compassion of Christ. You are the front lines. I love it. When I look at Jesus, he wasn't moved to fear, anger, or judgment at the people. He was moved to compassion. And that's different. That's harder. It's a lot easier to get angry than it is to be compassionate. If you don't believe me, go look at Facebook or Twitter. Unless you get depressed easily, then don't go to either. We live in a day where all of our needs, all of our needs, and almost all of our wants are taken care of now. It's so hard for us to understand those people that don't have their needs taken care of because ours pretty much are. Even our poor are richer than most of the world. So it's easy, therefore, to be self-centered. Because here's something about getting your needs taken care of. The more your needs are taken care of, the more needs you develop. You really do. I, I have a sleep number bed now. When I, amen. <laughs> Whenever I have to go to a hotel, it doesn't matter. If it's a five-star hotel, I lay in there, I'm going, stupid mattress. What do they think they're doing? What happened? I got a blessing and turned it into a need. We do that. Self-centered me-ism cripples churches. And it has crippled the spread of the gospel. I got to do it. I got to do it, Mark. Sorry. But right before we got up, I have this thing. I know many of you are blessed by Gaither music. You love it. You think that's what's going to be sung in heaven. You're wrong, but that's what you think. And I like to tease about it. I like to play with it. Don't get your feelings hurt. Uh, I, I don't have precious memories or moments, things in my, uh, you know, I, I don't do that either. But um, right before I got up, I noticed it was a Gaither song. And I looked over at Mark and he goes, we're not going to sing it you know, like, like they do. We're, and I'm going, fair enough, fine. You know. 
if it's meism, I can't sing that song. If it's meism, I've got to be upset. They're doing no. It's not about me. They do all kinds of songs here. I don't know that I'm learning. That's that's good because it's not about me. But how many times a day do you think I have to remind myself of that? If you think it comes naturally, you're wrong. I have to always remind myself of this. We've got to lay aside our anger at being offended, our anger at being interrupted, our love of cocooning, and our love of our digital instant world, and walk with each other. We have to learn to do what Jesus did. He who had control of the whole universe walked with us as individuals and with small groups, and then he said, follow me. You do this too. Jesus was not just compassionate. He was accepting of other people. Now, please understand, he didn't accept sin, but he accepted people who were sinners, people who were caught by sin, overrun by sin, prisoners of sin. He accepted them. He met people where they were. He accepted them for who they were, where they were, and for what they could become. He met the woman at the well. He knew that she didn't need a judge. She needed an advocate. That's what we can be, an advocate for those that are slaves of sin. This woman at the well did not need his disapproval. She needed his love. She needed forgiveness. And so that's what Jesus offered. The woman caught in adultery is another example of how Jesus stood up to speak for people nobody else would speak for. She needed somebody to stand up to speak. She needed someone to help her before she could change her life. Churches get it so often so backwards. You change your life, then we'll walk with you. Jesus walked with people to change their lives. It's very different. That's why we do ministries. That's why I really want to stress Philippians 2. I'd love it if you would go home later today and read the whole chapter. Absorb it. Let it become a part of your life. But, you know, we talk about the woman caught in adultery and the woman at the well. I want to talk about Zacchaeus. Here's a guy that was doing well. He had a lot of money. He had a prestigious position. But he was also looked down upon by the community because of what he did for a living and because he might have been cheating the people. We always assume the scripture says that he was cheating them. He says, if I cheated, I will pay back. So let me give him a little room there. But he was a little guy that was, and it was easy to make fun of him. I, I find it, by the way, fascinating. In America, when the kids sing that song, they'll say Zacchaeus was a wee little man. They don't say it that in Scotland. They'll say Zacchaeus was a very little man. I'm going, why do the Americans say we? And we... <laughs> anyway, uh, he would have been easy to make fun of. He's a little guy, a little quirky, a little odd, only about numbers in his head, not so interested in the compassion of others, has to climb a tree to see Jesus. Jesus stops in the middle of the crowd. That's very important. He wanted the whole crowd to know what he was about to do. He looked, he said, Zacchaeus, come on out of the tree. I'm going to your house today to eat with you. You and I look at that and go, well, that's interesting. They would have been shocked. There would have been yelling in the crowd when Jesus did that. Because in the first century, you are who you eat with. And in the middle of the entire crowd, Jesus was saying, 
I will fellowship that man. I will be his friend, and he will be mine. And that would have been intolerable for the stuck-up religious people of the day. So the rule, don't be a stuck-up religious person. Follow Jesus. You see, people, individuals, were Jesus' top priority. Not numbers, not programs. Sometimes programs need to die. Sometimes ministries need to die. We need to do something else. Always about the people, not the program. Jesus spent more time with individuals in small groups than he did with large crowds. And I don't read a lot of big leadership manuals, but every so often somebody in my life has said, you really got to read this, and so I will. And some of the manuals will say, you need to speak to as many people as you can. The bigger crowd, the better. Jesus didn't think that way. He thought, one by one, replicate yourself. One by one, show them what to do. And then have them go show what to do. Do you remember the Great Commission? Go into all the world and teach them what I taught you. Replicate yourself. You can only do that but if you're walking with them. You're part of their life. By doing this, we have this treasure, the treasure of Jesus, in earthen vessels. That's pretty cool. We live in a culture which can elevate feelings rather than facts. And so we can feel compassionate about something and feel we've done something. I, I, I need to walk carefully here. I'm all for, if you want to put a magnetic ribbon on your car, that you support rescue dogs or uh, veterans. I'm fine if you want to put on um, uh, different colors or different colored ribbons, you know, pink for breast cancer surviving and, and, and uh, research. I support that. And there are times that we've even told you to wear a certain color on a certain day. But I never want you to, uh, to think that that means you're a compassionate person. It's easy to put on a ribbon. It's easy to choose a color sweater. It's a whole different thing to go walk beside these people and to lay aside your needs for them. So don't, don't take the easy way. But we'll say, you know, I, it made me feel good. I had a friend once that said, I'm against magnetic ribbons, but I don't know how to show it. It was a joke. His point is, <laughs> there's not a magnetic ribbon for that. Um, I want you to take a look at something Jesus did in, in Philippians 2. He emphasizes action over feelings. Take a look at this. In your same relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, that could appear to be um, feelings, but hang on. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. By the way, that's probably one of the best translations of that passage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. That's compassion. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Obedient all the way to death on a cross. Rather, he made himself nothing. He became obedient. Feelings are important. Facts are more important. Obedience is important. Obedience was a hallmark of his life. 
Jesus told us in Luke chapter 6, verse 47, he honors those that hear his words and then do them. Not just hear them. John chapter 12, verse 49. John chapter 17, verse 4. Obedience, obedience, obedience. Now, let me stress. We're not saved by works. We all know that, do we not? We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. But our works do indicate to the world and to God what we believe and who we are. Jesus also calls upon us to take responsibility for who we are and where we're headed. He told the woman, the adulterous woman, I don't condemn you. Go sin no more. To the man, I love the, the story of the man at the pool of Bethsaida. Uh, it has a complicated backstory, but he'd been there for a long time. And Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to be well? That's an interesting question. There are some people that have enjoyed ill health for many years. And if they ever got well, they'd have nothing to talk about. So he goes, do you want to be well? Do you really want to get better, to move forward? It's easy to give lip service to Jesus, is I guess what I'm saying. It's a lot harder to actually do it. Kind of like, oh, here's a nerve. Losing weight. Give me a surgery. Give me a pill. Give me a machine that will do it for me. Although I'm very concerned about the woman on the Peloton commercial. They show her, here's this torture device. And they'll say, this is why you got up. Really? That's kind of sad. And they'll even say, when you get on it, your instructor over the internet, they're not going to be easy on you. I'm thinking, well, don't get on it. <laughs> Run away. And by running, uh, anyway... <laughs> We all know the only way to lose weight is eat less, move more. But people fight it. They, they'll give that lip service, but then they want something. They want a program. They want something else. Or money. If the only way to have money is not to spend all your money. I don't like that. Maybe there's an instant loan I could get. No, I'm sorry. That's not the way that works. It is simple to say we follow Jesus, it is hard to do. That's the point I'm trying to make. As I begin to bring this down to a bit of an end, I got excited thinking, well, you know, the classes don't have a definite start time, so I could just keep, but, but I won't. Somebody, I was walking around saying hello to people. Somebody shook my hand. They said, do you have a good sermon today? I said, sorry, no. I said, uh, said, Cammy writes my sermons, and today, frankly, was not one of her good ones. Uh, but, um, but we love her anyway. We forgive the woman, you know, so be kind to her. Don't bring it up to her. Anyway, um, something about Jesus' life that hits me hard. He saw the blind man, the Bible says, and he sighed. Now think about that. We follow a God who sighs when he sees our struggles. He doesn't, it's not like, <sighs> but rather a, a compassion, a co-passion, a co-feeling with us. And God says, you do that too. Like a railroad crossing, stop, look, and listen. See what God wants you to see. Say what God wants you to say. 
There are people in this world that can brighten a room just believe in it. Don't be those people. <laughs> be a person that brightens a room by, by walking in. When you walk in, let it be that, as if Jesus walked in that room. Things are going to be better now. Things are going to be more loving and caring now. Jesus was an encourager. Take a look at Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Notice he's not blaming them for being tired or burdened. He's not saying, well, look how you got yourself in that situation. He's just saying, no, just come. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Brothers and sisters, when people come to you, do you take from them their burden or do you add to it? Do you give them ease or do you give them more to struggle through? Are you like Jesus or not? This is a pretty powerful passage when you start applying it to us. We can't always take away all of the burdens of everybody we meet, but we can help them carry them. We can walk alongside them as long as we're not so concerned about where we're going that we won't walk with them. Walking with them is what Jesus would do. Let us truly be a people of compassion, acceptance, obedience, and faith. I need to look, Mark. I didn't even ask you if you need time for the whole group to come up. Do You do. I'm going to step aside. Let, let Mark bring his group up. This world needs light. We have mentally ill men opening fire in the Fort Lauderdale airport. We have this morning, and I didn't see the news, I've only heard about this, a man using a truck to run over Israelis. We have a world that needs light. So I talked to God today saying, talking about the state of the world, I found myself stopping and then saying, and yes, Father, I'm aware I have contributed to the way the world is. My sin has encouraged the sin of others. We need light. We need the light of God. This church needs his light. These people that have set up the ministry fair they're interested in spreading the light of Christ in a variety of ways. Let us encourage them. Let us help them. Let us lift their burdens as well. Most people, let's face it, this is a beautiful building. I love this building. But most people are never going to get past that formal, rather austere, powerful entrance with the big columns and the mini steps and the brick and we look at it and say, that, that's, that's kind of cool. They look at that and say, that's almost like keeping me out a wall. The only way they're going to get past that is to see the love of God in us as we're outside. And then they follow us home. Love them until they ask you why. And then love them until they follow you home. We have to be part of the greatest story ever told. We have to be a part of his story. So have in you the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Compassion, 
acceptance, and grace. Amen, church?